0: What's up, buds?
1: And as the puck drops, the
0: words that D.C. fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a
1: dream. It's not a desert mirage. Lord stanley and he is coming to Washington. welcome back to jaybridge radio i am your host adam stringham and today i'm really happy to be joined by chris Watkins of hockey graphs you probably know him on twitter at yolo pinato how you doing chris
0: uh not too bad man how about yourself
1: oh i'm doing well doing well you know it's uh getting real close here to the kickoff of the hockey season so i'm starting to get kind of amped back up again what about yourself
0: uh same here you know i was thinking uh you know now it's time for season previews uh and, but it just feels like the season wrapped up especially with a you know a lot of you know free agency still pending with a lot of the rfas and then uh you know, all of the, you know, the fun that was July 1st. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, the Blackhawks continue to self immolate uh, at a rapid pace. So that's uh, lots of fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's going to be a, a fun season regardless.
1: Yeah. We're really heading into like the big doldrum period of August. It kind of feels like all the teams don't really do anything anymore. And it kind of gives the best opportunity to kind of look back and see what the teams did. Um, during free agency and you know any deals they did during the draft, so I'm really happy to have you on to kind of talk about how you think the Capitals did uh, with their off season.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think overall, you know, the the Caps are sort of, sort of in a weird place that you see a lot of contenders um, at their stage at. Uh, you saw with Pittsburgh the past couple of years, uh, Chicago, um, in LA uh, most recently of trying to sort of keep that trying to shift pieces around uh, around that core. Um, and I think a lot of the, the things that they had to really consider were with the eye towards, you know, Nicholas Baxter being a free agent next year um, and sort of, you know, keeping the, the deck clear for that. Um, so, you know, nothing that is earth-shaking, but I also think their core was strong enough to suggest that, hey, if we weren't everything back this year, um, you know, outside of the changes on the D-line, we run everything back next year we could be back in position to compete for a cup again so uh you know definitely definitely an interesting approach and you know definitely i, I think the goodest trade is probably the the key yeah. move to discuss uh mm-hmm. but uh you know lots of other things to, to talk about as well
1: yeah the goodest deal is actually where i was going to point us first i mean matt niskan was coming off of a, a pretty rough season last year i mean in, in both visually and analytically he's kind of been slowing down a little bit over the last couple seasons um obviously he did relatively well in the playoffs the year that the capitals won the cup but it just was not the same guy last season um i kind of want to get your take on, on that deal
0: uh i mean i think whenever you can walk away with the best player in the deal i always think that's a that's a good sort of outcome um for uh for for the team so uh, I, I agree with you that Niskanen is definitely not the player he was a few, a few years ago. And on the flip side, uh, you know, Gudis is always rated well by advanced stats. And so from that perspective, I think one of the key things um, with the Caps last year, I, I think I joked. Uh, I, I forget exactly what the controversy was with their like second. Oh, uh, uh, who did they trade for last year at the uh, deadline? Um, uh if, Jensen. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying for Nick Jensen, and uh, you know there was a lot of speculation around how important of a trade that was. And I was like, well, they swapped out one third pairing guy for another one, but you know they still have two third pairings on the team, and I thought that would be a bad, a bad, uh, a, a bad uh, sort of omen for their success in the playoffs, which sort of uh, turned out to be true. So I think just any uh, increase in talent um, uh, on the blue line uh, is critical. Um, you know, I think. You know, I was higher on Madison Bowie I think the Caps were and, obviously, the coaching staffs. Um, but, uh, you know, without any clear upgrade in uh, Niskanen and, and Orlov uh, getting up there, you know, there's only so many places you, you can go. So I think, all in all, a good trade. Uh, as I say, any way to get more talent is probably better. Um, and I think Gudis is, in particular, just a really good fit just because of all the things he brings to the table um and also just ignoring the things he takes off uh just with his sometimes reckless play and, and uh sort of uh propensity to draw big to draw big penalties i think he's a he's a good player to add to the blue line
1: so what kind of about Goudis makes him good i mean uh, so a, a lot of uh you know maybe less analytically inclined caps fans think of goodis kind of as almost like a Brooks Orpic light, right? Like a guy who's just sure. kind of a, a grinder. you know he's uh, feels like a stay at home guy when you watch him. you know he tries to decapitate people with a stick. <laughs> um, but you know what actually makes him valuable?
0: Yeah, so uh, so I mean, I think there's a couple things. So I'll start off with like sort of my my stats and my view on on him as a player. Then we'll go into the more traditional stuff. Um, so like by a lot of my numbers uh, and as people who may have heard me talk before, um. So I have a I have a tr- sort of uh, rating system that rates every player by seven key categories: um, shooting, passing, skating, uh, uh, physicality, uh, shot creation, and then neutral zone offense and defense. Um, and you know, you can go on Hockey uh, uh, look me up on Hockey Grass to see sort of the the methodology behind those ratings. But uh, just to give you all a, a overview of that. Um, so uh, racco Gudis in particular um actually everybody knows about the physical play um he's in the, the uh 98th percentile over the past like four years in terms of his physical play relative to all the other defensemen so everybody knows that um but in terms of his shot metrics um and skating ability uh he also rates in the top uh, 98th percentile on both of those um over the past four years as well so you're talking about uh a guy who probably is not really recognized a lot for his skill level um but uh just on a play-by-play basis um, uh, his ability to draw penalties, and uh, even though he draw, uh, uh takes a lot of penalties himself, he also draws them uh, relatively high compared to a lot of other defensemen. Um, and then the shot metrics are always rate right out very well as well. So um, from passing ability, skating, and just playmaking ability overall, I think he's a little bit better than probably Cats fans uh, understand, just because most of the highlights you see him in are him trying to take somebody's head off, <laughs> uh, uh, and then also by uh, 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 So I also have a metric that sort of uh, tries to align towards Corey's uh, manually tracked um, uh, zone entry and zone exit uh, numbers. Um, So it actually does, it's a pretty good predictor and allows you to compare across uh, seasons that Corey didn't track. Uh, And so by both of those metrics, it's not a one-to-one ratio by what Corey actually manually tracks season by season. But uh, based on those metrics, uh, he also rates very well in terms of zone entries um, and a little bit worse in terms of uh, preventing like zone exits, um, but still a, a very good person that both is blue line. So if you can sort of corral all of the talent that is radical blue, you really do have a sort of uh, a, a sort of uh, pseudo uh, top, uh, top pairing defenseman um, and to sort of get that for a declining Matt Niskanen, um, I think is a sort of good turn of events for a cap, the caps overall.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how the Capitals coaching staff kind of chooses to use him in the in the regular season. There's definitely been like uh the beat writers are definitely penciling him in the lower in the lineup, but I think he's a guy that could really do well higher up assuming that he uh kind of gets the reckless play under control. Uh, but the Capitals haven't like shied away from using guys um that occasionally cross the line in, in, in like key leverage <laughs> minutes. I mean, Tom Wilson obviously is um the capitals top line right wing now and he's uh, you know he, he was good last year after he came back from that suspension but um it, it's not he there's still a risk that he's going to cross the line again um <laughs> but, <laughs> let's talk. Start...
0: Uh, no, uh, go... sorry just on that point you know i think tom wilson is actually a good uh uh, uh examples to, to showcase because for the average fan you know all you know about tom wilson especially before this last season before he broke out was, you know, reckless headhunter, you know, guy, very physical guy uh, and and all of that. Um, but that sort of reputation sort of overshadowed the skill he brought to the table. And I think it's the same thing with Racco Gudis, where uh, he, he's a really talented individual, but because the only time you really hear about him is when these incidents happen, um, that sort of uh, makes people overlook uh, what he can bring to the table.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be um, nice to see how it plays out, and hopefully the Capitals don't end up really increasing their penalty minutes because the, <laughs> the team has already had enough discipline issues over the last couple <laughs> seasons. One of the most penalized teams in the NHL. Right. Yeah, always with a bad penalty differential. Um, let, let's kind of like completely flip the script, go from sure. a guy who was really gritty to a guy who, um, you yeah, know, we both really liked, especially a couple years ago, lots of razzle-dazzle, who the Capitals traded for uh, really... You know, next to nothing, but it, it allowed them to free up some cap space, and that's Andre Burakovsky. The Capitals yeah. traded their 2020 second round pick um, for Burakovsky. So, or that's what they got in return for Burakovsky, rather. So, what I mean, obviously, he's fallen a lot since we, you and I talked about him uh, in our uh, hockey graphs mock offseason a few <laughs> years ago, where we gave him a ton of money. Well, what are your kind of thoughts on this deal for the Capitals? I mean, do you think it was just kind of the time to give Burkowski a new change of scenery?
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. So, uh, if, if people don't know what what uh, what we're referencing, so on a hockey grass off offseason a couple of years ago, Burkowski was just coming off his uh, ELC, and uh, uh, the rules for the offseason were that uh, teams could— um, uh, there, there's no offer sheet compensation, um, so you can offer sheet any player um, as long as the other team couldn't match. Um, and then— Uh, Also, in addition, every team uh, got a 10 percent increase on the cap uh, to sign their own players. So if you want to sign a player like Burakowski coming off his ELC, you have to really go above and beyond uh, to really uh, convince the caps not to resign him. And so I think he went to Dallas for like three, four, like 42. So like 14 million dollars a year. Uh, (laughs) And obviously that would be a massive overpay. So I think uh, like overall, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, Burkowski's 24, uh, you know, coming off another down season. Um, so that's, you know, two or three in a row. Um, so I think he peaked, uh, with 38 points at, uh, in his second season, um, and it's been, uh, you know, 35 then 25 then 25 points last year as well. Uh, and so from a, what we know about aging curves and stuff, you know, especially from an offensive player uh, perspective, um, point production, uh, especially on the rates that, uh, a rate per 60 uh, uh, minute uh, thing, sorry. <laughs> uh, we know that peaks around twenty three, twenty four. So he's not going to get better in terms of being able to put the puck, you know, uh, in the net. Uh, and so the other factors that you would hope for, the skill, all that has not really been in display as well. And you don't know whether it's a mental thing or, you know, he's been hurting the past couple of years, but whatever it is, a lot of the skill that he displayed in that first couple seasons, um, Uh, coming out just hasn't been there. So you see that in the numbers, in the event stats, and in like my metrics as well, you know, skating, ability way down. Uh, So he was at the 80th percentile in his second year. Um, He's all the way down to the the 28th percentile uh, amongst forwards. Uh, Shot creation, which is another key metric that you look for, for young forwards that maybe aren't getting the playing time, you know, he was as high as the 94th percentile just as recently as two years ago. It's now down in the 60th percentile. So by like, Every metric that you can sort of use out there, you know, points or the advanced metrics, he's just not the same player that he was. And it's better to get actually a relatively high return for him uh, now than to get nothing or overpay him for the long term to keep him on the roster.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of, you know, even though he's not in the Capitals anymore, I'm curious to see how his career plays out. He looked good um, really after the trade deadline for the Caps last year and his Like, the skill always seems to be there. He's struggled a lot since having kind of uh, repeated hand and other arm injuries over the last couple seasons. So, um, you know, definitely wish him the best, and I'm really curious to see how he does. But the Capitals kind of have another young, skilled forward uh, who they just gave a new contract to, and that's Jacob Vrana. And he's a guy, a lot like Burakovsky when he came out of his ELC, that kind of puts up great, numbers especially on a per 60 minute on a per 60 minute basis
0: yeah and so Vrana is actually one of the uh, uh I don't know if you remember this like I think it was actually last year or the year before um where Vrana was a guy who was only playing like 13 minutes uh, a game uh, at the time but when I was looking at my uh what we call is it, the ice metrics um when I was looking at his metrics all of the underlying metrics were like you know, future superstar, at least a, yeah. a future first and second line winger, even with that, uh, a short amount of playing time. Uh, and that's uh, sort of boring out. And so, uh, just checking in on his numbers again. So like his numbers, his first season, uh, you know, super great shot creation metrics, uh, you know, great playmaking ability. And now, uh, just his last season. <laughs> uh, so just to show you how, uh, you know, how well he's performed a uh, 96 percent uh, in shooting, uh, 92nd percentile on passing, 84% uh, percentile in terms of skating, and then 85th percentile in terms of shot creation. Um, those are normally numbers reserved for the best of the best in the league. And so the fact that he's putting up these numbers, even still without, you know, playing, like, full first-line uh, first minutes, um, you know, really shows that uh, there's probably even more to, to unlock in terms of his ability. Um, but even in terms of, you know, what he was able to do last year and sort of, you know, less than, you know, only 14 minutes a night is still not great. But, you know, if you... If you play him on the second uh, or even the first line alongside of like Obechkin, uh you're talking about a pretty dynamic player. And I think uh, I think Cats fans would be remiss to to you know see him go down the same path that Berkowski did. I think he's a much better player than Barkovsky ever was. Uh, right. And so and so yeah, it's the only thing you worry about is you know his shooting his shooting percentage was a little bit high uh, last season. But other than that, everything else sort of points to uh, a guy who could be the next. Uh, uh kuznetsov uh, uh as a winger um uh, in a couple of years
1: yeah he's just um the, the thing with verano just watching him night in and night out is just his speed i mean there's just not a lot of guys that can kind of keep up with him and it's 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 incredible it's um it's kind of like the guy that the capitals traded for carl Hagelin, but yeah. with a lot more uh skill with the puck as well um so, it's just it's going to be really great to kind of see how he develops. Uh, hopefully, he can put up offensive numbers like Kuznetsov while still maintaining uh, some sort of semblance of defensive responsibility. So, that will definitely be <laughs> kind of a key for Varana. Um, definitely want to actually ask you about Kuznetsov, but I first want to pivot to, to Hagelin. Uh, the Capitals, of course, did yeah. re sign him in free agency. I'm just kind of get your talk. your thoughts on haggling? the guy who's kind of been bouncing around a lot over the last few years. And, um, you know, it seems like teams are really willing to kind of give a guy with, with legs, um, another chance to kind of stick in the NHL and, and really prove his value.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the, the hard part. So I think like, you know, sometimes reputation, uh, sort of, <laughs> sort of precedes, uh, actual ability, um, especially for a player that has, um, you know, such a strong postseason track record with a lot of, you know, really good teams. Um, but I think I think having, especially last year, just really struggled. Uh, and you saw it. Uh, so he he's been declining in terms of like skating metrics the past couple of years. He had a bounce back season uh, last year. Um, but um, so on average in his career prior to this year, he was in the uh, you know in the 80th percentile in terms of his skating ability, and that sort of under uh, that sort of uh, under emphasizes how good of a skater he actually was. Uh, last year he was in the 36th percentile. Uh, and you can sort of see that where he's like lost a bit of a step and without the sort of underlying other metrics that go with it it's hard to make a case for him to continue to be an NHL player unless he's able to get that step back Um, but you know he still does a lot of other really good things still you know good shot numbers and it's still you know relatively physical presence for for a fast skater like that Um, so I think like You know, you would hope for a bounce back uh, just relative to his career numbers. Um, But, yeah, if he continues to trend in this direction, I I don't see him lasting much longer in the the NHL. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be – that wouldn't be ideal for the Capitals given that they just gave him that new contract. So hopefully you're you're proven wrong on that one. But, uh, you know, that's just a hope. (laughs) Right. Um, Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about one other guy who's got a lot of legs and not doing a lot else, and that is Chandler Stevenson. The Capitals just re-signed him um, yesterday, actually, right before his arbitration hearing. It was a short, I believe, one-year deal versus just over a million dollars. What are your kind of thoughts on him? I mean, he's a guy who doesn't really generate any shots. He had a couple great um, goals in the playoffs a couple years ago that helped the Capitals kind of uh on their journey especially early on i remember a shorthanded goal against columbus in the first round but just just not a lot of shot creation for a guy who who actually doesn't like sees more minutes than a lot of other kind of 4th line players
0: yeah i mean you know so he's one of the guys so he plays actually a few minutes less per night than jacob rana which is
1: yeah, staggering that brought,
0: yeah yeah that's something he's rectified immediately and uh and yeah, I mean you're right. Like you know, just looking at his numbers. I mean he's not a player that's actually on my radar all that often. Um look at his numbers, you know, just very underwhelming in the in the bottom twenty-fifth percentile across the board, which is what you expect for a fourth liner. Um, but uh just uh just to note that for my numbers, like under the bottom twenty-fifth percentile is basically replacement level. So uh <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and that's a little bit concerning in terms of you know always and we see this happening a little bit more i think the colton citizens contract is one that created a lot of consternation uh uh, across the league uh, uh, for watchers because it's like you know the question i ask is you know why are you investing you know multiple years in a person that you don't think is worth you know, playing more than 15 minutes a night, you know, I think that screams to me replacement level. Um, So he's still a relatively young guy, but the numbers haven't been there. The underlying stats aren't there. He's a negative uh, for Corsi uh, for relative in his career. So I'm not just really sure what the what the sort of onus was to sort of bring him back. It's not a big number, Um, you know, one point five million one uh, point, basically a little bit over a million dollars. But that's still two hundred fifty thousand dollars that could have went elsewhere. Um, in the roster, so not super crazy about that extension. But I can see why they did it. It's um, a young guy that they played before, and it didn't suck um, in the coach's eyes. Um, that usually is a is a recipe for resigning a under underperforming player.
1: Yeah, very interested to see if the Capitals kind of do keep him on, or whether they're looking to move that deal. Um, the Capitals are now over the cap, so it's going <laughs> uh, gonna, gonna to be kind of interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, let's take a real quick break here to for our our word from our sponsors, and then we will be right back. All right, let's talk a little bit about Evgeny Kuznetsov. I mean, he didn't do anything contract-wise this year, but he is a player that, um, like, eye test-wise, he can dazzle you. I mean, I, there aren't a lot of guys that you watch that kind of can do as much while moving at, like, any sort of speed um, than, than, than Kuznetsov. I mean, it, McDavid obviously does it much faster pace, but Kuznetsov's a wizard with the puck. But his defensive numbers, especially last year, were just awful. I mean, he was injured early in the season. I think that had something to do with kind of how he came back and didn't quite have that same level of play. Um, but I'm really curious to get what your take is on on him. I know um, a lot of our other like analytically inclined uh, colleagues, you much more so than me at this point in terms of colleagues. I don't really write about it anymore. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they're not the biggest Kuznetsov fans. So what do you think?
0: Yeah, and I think like he he fits uh, a bit into the sort of Phil um, Kessel category, where you know, as you said, you know, very one one track minded guy. Uh, you know, you know, amazing with the puck. Uh, definitely has all the skill in the world. Uh, but you know, now he's in his age twenty seven season now. So you know, whatever he is, is this is going yeah. to be the best version of it, and it's probably not going to improve especially from the defensive uh, sort of point. And so uh, Alexander Seaman is probably a similar, obviously different players uh, (laughs) where, you know, someone was much more of a goal scorer than Kuznetsov is. But uh, obviously without that commitment on the defensive end, as the sort of speed and uh, uh, sort of dwindles a bit, um, that skill will still be there, but the commitment on the other end obviously won't pick up. So that's going to be concerning. And I think for his salary point, um, especially, I mean, so, you know, 72 points last season, uh, so almost so a point per game, but with the increased scoring environment, you know, that's pretty disappointing uh, for a player of his skill level and someone who doesn't play defense. You know, you're talking about, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Barkoff, who are, you know, grading their own end and also putting up 90-point seasons. And so for a guy to be getting paid that much and only put up 72 points uh, is actually not all that impressive. Uh, so that would be a concern to me. Um, the other key thing is, like, even by my metrics, like – uh, you know, you, you just see down years across the board. So, like skating ability, um, which is really heavily influenced by uh, rush shots, as uh, noted by Natural Stat Trick, um, and, uh, and penalty uh, creation, uh, penalty differential. Uh, he's uh, really down in that. So, 96% out last year, I'm 76% out this year. Uh, in terms of in terms of passing, uh, a little bit down there. Um, you know, still great in terms of uh, getting the puck out of his own uh, zone. Um, but even in terms of shot creation, he's never been, like, a super amazing uh, play driver in that regard. So uh, if that speed slows down uh, and this is the new normal for him, then I'd be concerned. Uh, I think the closest equivalent, I would say, is probably uh, a Jacob in, uh, in, uh in Philadelphia. I mean, I think they're two different players. Um, but, you know, they, he had just on that big contract uh, and Clyde – Jaru was able to sort of retain his value, but uh, Voracek wasn't to the same level, and it sort of put the Flyers behind the eight ball for a couple of years until he was able to bounce back a bit. And so you would hope, uh, with all of the concerns off the ice and all that stuff that that, that happened to Kuz, uh, that you hope <laughs> to bounce back this season. But yeah, it's not it's not looking great uh, right now.
1: You know, uh, the nice thing is, I mean, you you mentioned Voracek, and it's. It makes me think. Well, the Capitals got lucky because they got that contract, and in the first year, you know, it, it paid out for them immediately. Like they got their return, right? Even right. if the Capitals don't, um, even if like Kuznetsov ends up like being like a 60-point player who can't play defense particularly well, I mean, I think the organization would still say the contract worked out because they get they ultimately won the cup, right? They they got their prize, and Kuznetsov was arguably their best player. During the playoffs that year, um, when he put up 32 points in 24 games, right? Um, so it's definitely, but at the same time, I mean, obviously, when you sign a contract, you're thinking about the life of the contract. You're not saying we just need to do this to win now, or you, most of the time it feels that way. Um,
0: what? Well, yes, and, and, yeah, and I think in terms of like team building, and this is actually the back and forth with you know I have with uh, Rangers fans in particular this season, where um, you know I think like to your point. Um, when you're at that championship level, and a lot of data will, will show this, uh, 538 has a good uh, metric that they have called the Doyle number, and it's basically saying how all-in should you be as a team, uh, especially at the trade deadline uh, when you're close to competing. And so the normal thinking is, well, if you're a team on the borderline and needs to get in the playoffs, uh, you should go all-in, and if you're a contender, you should sort of hold the fort um, like a Tampa Bay did last year. But what the Doyle number from 538 says is that actually teams are better served when they're already confident that they'll be a cup contender um, and should go all in even more because, like, you don't know how much, you know, you don't know how how much saving cap space later or saving prospects for later is actually going to move the needle for your cup odds or doing it when you're very close actually makes a difference. And so I agree with that, where even if, yes, you're right, even if he never becomes a player. Um, that you know, 8.5 million or 8.4 million dollars a year sort of uh, uh, requires. Um, just the fact that he was able to deliver in such a dramatic way during the Cup run uh, will make it worth a while, especially in comparison to a lot of other contracts around the league at a similar price point that weren't able to deliver in that same, same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's crazy how perceptions of, of literally any contract the Capitals signed before the Cup. <laughs> for guys that were on the team will change even for even for a guy like me i mean like the, i hated the Orpic deal so much but. and but they won the cup with Orpic, so i'm like you know what maybe I had to do something for them in the <laughs> locker room that i just can't understand like it's just crazy how stuff like that changes Um uh, let's talk a little bit about like the three big contracts that the Capitals are going to have yeah. to figure out how to do over the next couple of years. Um, next, th- this is the last season for Nicholas Backstrom and Brayden Holpe on their mm-hmm. current contracts. And then I believe it's the year after that. Um, if you know, you correct me if I'm wrong, is the last year of Alexander Ovechkin's contract. Right. So the Capitals have a lot of stuff coming up. Um, and Brian McClellan's already kind of come out and said that Nicholas Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin um, will be staying here or he's going to, okay. I mean, it, you know, basically, we got what we wanted from these guys. If they want to stay here for the rest of their career, they're going to stay here for the rest of their career. I don't think the fans are upset about that. Like, really, sure. everyone's okay with it. But what do you kind of think, like, from your perspective, what would you do, uh, especially to start with hopi and Backstrom?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll start with Holtby, um and, and if you remember <laughs> last time uh, last time we talked in depth about the Cast, this is, the, I think, the year that they won the Cup. Uh, and I was talking about trading Hopi. Uh, yeah. Uh. Uh. And this was he yeah, had just won the uh, just won the the Vesna. Um. You know, had a great had a great uh, regular season. Struggled a bit in the postseason. Um. And I made this suggestion at the time that um. You know, now's the time to trade him. His stock would never be higher. You have a great backup in, in Philip Grubauer. Uh. You know, just sort of go with that and 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 beef up your you know Ford or or a decor instead. So uh, obviously. My take on it is, and, and we see this uh, play out, uh, particularly with um, recent cup contenders. Um, uh, Pittsburgh was relatively lucky that they had Matt Murray um, sort of come in for uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, but with the Blackhawks, uh, you know, uh, really relying a lot on Corey Crawford um, post their cup run, um, and his injury issues and concussion issues, have really set them back the past couple of years. Um, and then uh, L.A. giving uh, such a big contract to Jonathan Quick, um, who's been, you know, basically a replacement-level goalie since signing that contract. Uh, you know, it can really set a team back. Uh, uh, to reward goalies in particular for that sort of sense of team loyalty and been here from the start. Um, so, if I were them, I mean, you know, I would hope to maybe, you know, bring him back, you know, for, for, you know, maybe like five million dollars a year over four years. I mean, I, I don't think you can not pay. A goalie, but my concern is that very few goalies outside of like a Peck Arena or wh- or whoever have been able to sort of keep up their level of play for for a long term. Um, and giving goalies big term contracts, we'll see with uh, Serge, uh, with Bobrovsky like how that play out. But I'd be really concerned about uh, bringing him back. Um, at a significant long-term number. So I'd be more concerned. I, I'll be better served if you can bring them back for a high AAV, if you can get them for a shorter term, but the term is really is what's gonna set them back. Um, especially not, because unlike forwards or defensemen, you know, you have a goalie that you're paying a lot, you almost have to pay, play them because they don't yeah. really serve a lot of value as a backup um, at that point in time. And so I'll be much more, I will pay you for your production in your early 30s, but after that it's sort of, we'll, we'll revisit this in a couple years.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really tough for them to kind of retain Hopi. Um, Florida, given Bobrovsky, that kind of deal. um, I mean, if I'm in Hopi's camp, I feel like they they should have a pretty legitimate case for getting the same amount of money um, from some team. Like some team will probably give them something close to that. Um, You know, the Capitals have been a great kind of goaltending factory over the last 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they've, I mean, Varlamov, uh, Neubert, Holpe, um, and they have some great prospects now, um, especially kind of coming in with right. Ilya Samsonov. But it, it's just hard to imagine that the Capitals are going to lean heavily on him, um, not next year, but the year after, being Samsonov, if he doesn't get a lot of time in this upcoming season. So really curious to see what we see shake out here. Um, I, I expect to see Holtby finish the season with the Capitals as they kind of take another crack at this thing. But it's going to be... Uh, pretty interesting to kind of see what they do uh, McClellan has a lot of kind of tough decisions coming up um, I'm,
0: I mean so it, it, so like to be very you know to be very just objective about it like to me that's the one where I, I think you can afford to be sort of a, a little bit more ruthless from McClellan's standpoint I mean you have a guy that's basically been a 9-on-9 goalie the past two years so that's one sort of key part yeah. Um, and then and the other part is you know and, and this is where i really struggle a lot with even like the more analytically minded uh people uh from the nhl to me in a hard cap overpay is overpay it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really matter the the quality of the of the player that you're overpaying uh to me overpays the overpay because uh the best teams in the nhl win with both star power and depth uh and you can't have you can be a top heavy team it's much better to be top heavy than sort of mediocre across the board but the best teams uh boston being a perfect example where their top line is all you know in like the top 10 uh best value contracts according to Don chicken's model um and so they have star power in depth and so to me you give up on hopi you have all his uh you know goalie prospects coming up in the pipeline you can get a veteran goalie you can sort of hold the fort but think about all the money that you save that can be you know four million let's say you get a, a backup goalie for two or three million dollars a year that's another depth forward you know second or third line uh forward or another, you know, second pairing defender that you can go out and get on the open market to supplement the core of your team and sort of make up for that loss in the net. And then with goalie prospects, they're very high variants. So some of them may turn out to be the next uh, Jordan Bennington. Some of them may be a disaster, but you don't know. And so this is the only way you can find out. So to me, that's the one move that, you know, as I said a couple of years ago, but even more so now that I would sort of pull the plug on that, you know, cut my losses now, uh, not lock the team into a potential bad contract, and then take my chances and see what I have with the other players.
1: Yeah, I got to imagine the Capitals are are really evaluating what they're going to have to do between the pipes uh, coming up here in the not-so-distant future. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Backstrom. I mean, he's a guy who's kind of under the radar all the time. Um, Even still, he's just... He's consistent. I mean, he's a guy who puts up points, plays well on both ends of the ice. Never been a super dazzling skater visually. Doesn't have like the speed of a lot of the other guys we've talked about. But he just goes on and does the like makes the right play all the time. He's the Capitals all-time leading uh, franchise leader in assists, rather, and um, you know has been like the perfect complement to Alex Ovechkin throughout both of their careers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think he's a guy where you know. It's one of those things. So he's at, you know, his cafe is currently at $8 million a year now. Um, and if you can get him, obviously depending on the term, you know, he's going to his age 32 season. So obviously depending on the term, you know, the the sort of maximum value of the contract before you just don't know what happens after. It's not that he's going to fall off, you know, at any point in time, but you don't know if that fall off is going to happen at age 35 or 37, uh, where he's just not, you know, much more than a replacement level player at that standpoint. Uh, So to me, uh, obviously, if you if he's wanting a higher cap hit, then that's fine. Hey, we'll do two years at, you know, six or seven million. Um, Or if it's, hey, I want to retire as a capital. Okay, can we bring you in at four or five million? Um, That's probably a little bit under what he can get uh, on the market right now, uh, obviously, with his reputation. Um, But it also sort of uh, protects the caps on the back end. Uh, once he does start to slow down. So still a great player, still, you know, a good play driver, probably obviously not to the level that he was before, but just the fact that he was, I think, the second leading scorer on the team last year, um, even as his age 32 seasons, shows that he still has a lot left in the tank, even relative to Kuznetsov, uh, to who obviously is not nearly the defensive player that, uh, that Backstrom is. So, you know, lots of good stats across the board, by advanced stats and, and by my numbers as well. Um, I think he'll age pretty well. But you just never know when a player like Backstrom, who does the little things, is very hard to track when those little things fall off, and you don't want to be stuck holding, you know, six million dollars a year for a guy who's putting up forty points, um, you know, and playing third line center minutes.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely would not like to, you know, put that kind of money on the third line. Um, which, which should be interesting because it's. Um... Like T.J. Oshie's a guy who we don't need to go into, but he's a guy who's getting paid a lot of money that <laughs> might get slotted into the third line this up, upcoming season. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see. Both, both Baxter and Oshie obviously being big parts of the Capitals' power play and their uh, overall success over the last couple seasons. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Ovechkin here to wrap things up. I mean, he's a guy, again, he is signed next year, and um, he will have kind of one more year to get things finalized and signed before um, before he's done a year longer rather than Baxter and Holpe. So if, if you're the Caps and you're starting to think about what it's going to take to re-sign Ovechkin to kind of have him finish his career in Washington, uh, what, what are you kind of thinking about?
0: Well, so, I mean, unfortunately for the Caps, I mean, this guy just keeps scoring goals, <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which skews all all uh, evaluation projections and so on and so forth because, as probably most of the advanced guys would tell you, you know, goal – goals and points are things that are probably over-rewarded in terms of the marketplace, uh, in terms of just paying for, um, but are still, you know, obviously important, <laughs> important things to have on your team. And so, uh, if Ovechkin was the same player putting out the same point numbers, but, you know, instead of, uh, you know, 51 goals and 89 points, you know, if it was, you know, 50, 51 assists and 38 goals, I mean, that still would be, <laughs> uh, a, a pretty hefty number, but not quite as much. And so, uh, I think with Ovechkin, you know, it's a little bit hard. You know, I think if you can get him locked in to, yeah, whatever term he wants, uh, but if you can get him locked in around the 7 or $8 million number, um, I think that's relatively fair. Um, to me, it's a, honestly an overpay for what uh, Ovechkin brings to the table. I mean, he is obviously an amazing goal scorer, um, still is an amazing part of any offense, uh, but, you know, hasn't really brought it on the other end of the ice for, for a couple of years. Uh, so relative to his contributions if you were just like you know looking at him and you know his name was Alex Ovechkin well, or something like that you, know, <laughs> you could probably get away with getting him you know six or seven million dollars a year but such a franchise icon somebody has contributed to their success and obviously won them a cup um you know you just sort of have to make sure that he's taken care of uh, no matter what because I think Ovechkin in particular is one of those guys where if you you know, low ball, um, say give him $5 million, you know, let's say you ask for a six-year contract and, you know, you give him $5 million dollars a year. That's not only something that's going to lead a franchise icon to walk away, that's going to hurt your gate receipts um, because he is such a key driver for the team and such a, a, a talisman for the Capitals. Um, but it also sort of notes to future free agents and, and other players that it's like, hey, if Alvesky is getting treated like this, I'm not going to get treated well as well. So I think – Given Ted Leonsis, uh, who also owns the Washington uh, uh, Wizards um, and uh, has relatively sh- taken good care of his players on, on that front, um, I think they'll probably bring in a uh maybe in, around $8 million a year. Uh, I, I think he's probably closer to $6.5 million a year player for the rest of his career. But you sort of, like, you know, splitting split hairs at that, at, at that point. You want him happy. You want him performing. I mean, you can still sort of build around him. As long as he's still scoring goals at even a 40 – Forty or even thirty-five goal pace, on um, that's still well worth you know at least six, seven million dollars a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we're talking about the greatest goal scorer of all time.
0: In yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would agree with that.
1: So I think you got we gotta 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 pay him out. Uh, I, I'm definitely kind of interested to see how his deal like kind of shakes up. I mean, the Capitals haven't had. Real, I mean, the Carlson deal was huge a couple of years ago. I mean, I guess that was just the last off season. Feels like a lot longer ago than that. Um, and then the Kuznetsov deal. But now the three biggest names on the team are all up for contracts over the next two seasons. So definitely going to be uh, a lot of hard work for Brian McClellan. Um, yeah. I, I did want to get uh, since since I got you and you just made the comment about points. I do. I think it's something that that I find interesting and our listeners hopefully find interesting as well. Um ultimately like goal scoring obviously is what kind of the team that scores more goals wins. Very simplistic, like oversimplified, and there are tons of things that don't result in points that help a team win. But what makes you think that points are undervalued?
0: Yeah, so I mean no, it's a great question. I, I think there is uh because you hear the same thing actually in the NBA, uh where they were like, Oh, well, you know, so and so scores twenty points a game, uh, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, the other contributions do uh, as someone <laughs> who has played basketball for quite a long time, uh, you always need someone on your team that can score points. Even if it's just one guy and that's all they do, uh, it's still uh, probably even more so in basketball, super critical to have someone that could put the ball actually in the basket. Uh, uh, and so I, I think it's somewhat similar in the NHL. Uh, when We're talking at the extremes. Like, no one is discounting that Nikita scoring 130 points is useless or, you know, Conor McDavid's uh, point numbers are useless. I think where people are trying to sort of uh recorrect the market is when you look at raw points themselves as an indication of player quality. Um, so, you look at, you know, normally in our Norris trophy voting, just look at whatever defensemen have above 50 points and then who's the best defense, defensive defenseman of those high scoring defensemen. Uh, same thing with Selkie voting. And so, I think the issue is when you look at points without context, um, that's where it releases to issues. So, a lot of points uh, as a total number are driven by your power play time, which is you know, how much does your coach like you? Uh, how much does your coach, you know, like the other guy who, you know, is a veteran and has put in his time and maybe you're on the second power play with not as good teammates just because, hey, we're paying this guy $7 million a year. We're paying you too. You know, you're a much better, you know, uh, player that can get the puck out of your own zone as a defenseman. Um, so that's part one of it. Um, part two of it is is driven a lot by, like, secondary assists where if you're in a high scoring team overall, your point totals will rack up and so, therefore, you know, you're playing for Toronto versus playing with a slower, you know, slow down team like, uh, you know, Edmonton last year or Dallas or something like that. Your point totals, you might be an equivalent player, but your point totals might go up by 10 or 20 points just by the team that you're playing on and secondary assists and all of that. So I, I think when you look at players on the extremes, yes, if a player is scoring a ton of points, they're probably a very good player. Is scoring, you know, not a ton of points. They're probably not a very good offensive player and probably won't get a lot of playing time. Um, but the players in the middle, I think you need a lot more context to say a 70 point player is definitely better than a 50 point player. If they were like, you know, if they were traded for each other, given the same exact context and teammates, um, it's very hard to say that that actually indicates that 20 point gap is uh, representative of the difference in quality between the players. So I think it's just bringing more context to it and saying there's some underlying numbers that can better uh, indicate how good of a player Mark Stone is relative to other players in the league.
1: That's great. That that like kind of really helps like put some context on it because it it's definitely felt like you know when you're going and looking at what people are saying and, and it's it's almost like uh, this guy has scored fifty goals like three times like More. yeah <laughs> or, or or you know something else like that so um, def, definitely helpful to kind of get the context around the need for context <laughs> um,
0: well, well and just to quickly and just to quickly elaborate on that you know, in, in most settings you know as the analytics person or someone uh, you, know, you know going against a straw man argument you know you sort of have to take the contrarian stance if, if your analytics prove what everybody else already knows hey points are super important or you know uh, you know pay a lot of money to your goalie uh, you won't get recognized in the public sphere so you have to sort of take the contrarian stance. And and really go deep dive into it because that's the only way you'll have a mass of people disagreeing with you. And so you really have to like like, you know, (laughs) dig in and and really make the point that this doesn't matter. This is not as important as you think it is uh, and and really sort of overemphasize it just to get the point across. So I also want to make sure that that is also taken into account as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to have like the big reveal. Right. It has to there there has to be a why or, you know, what are you showing me that I, I didn't already know? Um, right. Even though, the, so this is like an interesting like subtopic. Uh, John Press, who who manages Japers Rink, he and mm-hmm. I used to write a lot of like advanced pieces where we wouldn't have a big conclusion. Like it was really just like, okay, this is what we're seeing. This is why we're seeing it. This is, and there was a lot of value and stuff like that. And it's kind of, and and for the reasons you mentioned, it's kind of the analytic, the way that we write about analytics has had to change over time to be more this is the big reveal and it's in some ways that that almost kind of hurts the discourse though because like there is value in just being able to explain why things happen because if you know why it happens you can then build around that in the future even if it isn't that like contrary to what we already believed right so i I don't know i just think it's really it's a totally different topic for another day but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there about kind of Getting back to how teams are now adding value, how they can continue to add value, how in the people in the public sphere still can add value mm. both to the discourse and obviously to their future gainful employment, which is another <laughs> another important thing. Um, and hockey is going to have another big kind of revolution here analytically. We'd hope with all this tracking data coming available.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, just quickly note on that. You know, because. For example, the NBA has had the, this data for at least the past four or five years. Uh, the NFL has had uh, the data for the past couple of years, and we've seen some uh, some relatively dramatic changes in terms of how teams are using that data, how how it's being sort of shared and internalized. Um, but I think most importantly, um, for in baseball as well, I think most importantly, it increases the the overall intelligence level of the fan, um, just to be able to quantify a oh, launch angle or uh, you know, gravity score in basketball, how closely a player is guarded when they don't have the ball actually indicates how well, uh, uh, how big of an impact they have in offense. And that was things that we couldn't uh, couldn't note before tracking. Uh, same thing with, you know, how many times a, a player dribbles the ball before their team actually shoots indicates whether they're a very selfish player or a very team-oriented player. And so I think w- while teams will obviously make their changes, I do think the marketplace will be a little bit slow to react to it. Um, and as a couple people have pointed out, um, if you're getting access to the data and you're like, your response is to hire one analytics guy to look at it, um, you're already well behind the curve because a team like Toronto undoubtedly will hire a massive team to analyze all this data, but you have to build an infrastructure, uh, to, to support it. Um, you have to have people that can communicate the very advanced stat stuff to, uh, you know, the coach and the players to actually get them to do it. Um, so. It's going to require a lot of investment, and I would hope that the Caps, uh, based on the press conference that Neon has had with the Wizards uh, front office a couple of days ago, would do the same thing for the Caps uh, in regards to this new frontier of uh, analytics data.
1: Yeah, I definitely definitely hope so. The Capitals definitely have done well on kind of um, – they've, they've made more analytically inclined moves, I'd say, over the last few years. So um, that definitely will be interesting. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with me today. I mean, it was it was great to kind of get your take on, on all things that the Capitals have done over the last kind of few months and what they should be doing up here in the future.
0: Yeah, man, no, I'm excited. It's going to be a, 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 quite a blow bath over there in the east uh, to see who gets out of there, but it uh, should be an exciting season overall. Uh,
1: again, uh, this is Chris Watkins with me today. Chris, everyone can find you on Twitter at YOLO underscore pinato, PINYATO, P I N Y A any, T O. Any specific work you want to plug here while we wrap up? Uh,
0: yeah, I actually do have some fun work coming out. Uh, I'm actually committing to writing for a hockey guest right. <laughs> uh, for the first time in like a couple years. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not doing the conference circuit this year, uh, but um, uh, I have some fun new stuff coming out. I'm particularly looking at uh, power plays and, and penalty kill optimization. So um, yeah, looking forward to getting that up and running uh, in a couple weeks.
1: Well, Chris, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. All right, on behalf of Chris Watkins and myself, thanks for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio. As always, we are always available on Twitter. You can reach me at Stringham A or at Japers Rink Radio. Thanks again for listening.